we are rolling forward in a pretty cool summer series. Matt, um, I love that, the title. I, I told Tim Barry, our worship pastor, I think this is the best graphic ever. Uh, David and Bono, when the word sings. And so the word uh, is uh, the Bible, the scriptures. And the reason we use sings is because we're studying all summer the book of Psalms, which is the ancient hymn book of the faith. Uh, kind of in the center of your Bible. It's a big old book. Many of us only really see it when you go to a funeral or you go to a wedding, right? Psalm 23, we talked about it a few weeks ago. It's really this, this psalm of life, but we oftentimes use it um, in a dirty respect. Not in a bad way, but oftentimes at funerals. And so what we've been trying to do is make this big song come to life again. Um, because it is, the, it is the place in Scripture, maybe more than anywhere else, where there is this deeply raw nature to the faith. As David and others cry out to God, sometimes they sing, sometimes they dance, sometimes they yell. It is just an incredible work of faith. And so in order to do that, what we've been doing is working with some material that Fuller Theological Seminary put out, where they bought kind of uh, two, two the, uh, maybe the original spiritual odd couple together. Um, uh, one is Eugene Peterson, who is uh, a profound Christian author, authoring over 30 books, many of which you would say are classics. But of course, his most well-known work is The Message. It is a full translation of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you go to BibleGateway.com or any of the, the big Bible search engines, you can actually choose the message as your translation. And so that was the work of his life. And he's kind of an old, quiet Christian thinker. And then uh, to his cabin, they bought Bono from YouTube, who is probably not an old, quiet Christian thinker. He might be, he might be more of a loud, uh, you know, uh, upfront, out there Christian thinker. And uh, it's been fun to watch them dialogue over these weeks. Uh, Steve Fisher, America's longest serving youth pastor, is going to be speaking to you this morning uh, from the Psalms. And uh, I said to him this morning, I said, I don't think you've ever, you ever envisioned this happening in your life. But today, opening for Steve Fisher will be Bono and Eugene Peterson. Psalms have an honest quality to the, the feeling that is expressed. The psalmist is saying, I'm mad about this, I'm happy about that, I'm confused about this, I'm despairing about that. What is the work of the artist in the making of the work to acknowledge the intensity, the reality of the feeling without indulging the feeling? Self-indulgent? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm an opera singer. And so I let those feelings go through me and come out. Having feelings is perfectly normal and, and let them out. Why do I like the Psalms? David, I like David very much. Why? He danced naked in front of the troops. That's one reason I like him. <laughs> and his missus was not at all happy. You know, it's, it's this abandonment, you know, that, that you've, got to, you've got to get it out. It's important and dancing, very important, and understanding our our bodies as well as our minds and our spirits. 
And the three-person God, the Trinity, is reflected in our, our body, mind, spirit. And we have to we ignore. We really do ignore. It's a little bit of a rough cut. He says we really do ignore it, um, the body aspect uh, of what he's talking about. Uh, but I think what I've most enjoyed, if you have seen some of these clips as we've kind of been breaking them up into different sections, uh, is just hearing Bono and Eugene talk kind of just openly about the Bible and about faith. And so often uh, we take uh, somebody like Bono or even Eugene Peterson, like John said, he's written over 30 books, who made a translation of the Bible. Like, that's insane. And I, sometimes I put those people maybe up on a pedestal or you think they're not, they're not like us. Uh, but you hear these guys just kind of talking openly about uh, the Psalms and, and what it means to them and what it's like. Um, and so, um, we have another clip for you uh, that will be showing kind of the end of that. Uh, but both of those guys have some really cool insight coming from two different places. Uh, Eugene Peterson, if you ever um, want to spend a couple hours being lost on YouTube, if that's your thing, uh, they have a bunch of interviews with him. He's a really fascinating guy. Uh, a lot of wisdom and insight. Uh, so I was doing that when I was, should be prepping for a sermon. Uh, but uh, this morning I wanted to talk to you, once again, we're going to stay in the Psalms, about an idea that's talked about a lot in the Bible. Uh, it's an idea that we talk a lot to our kids about. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character, good morals. You ever said that to your kids? You say it more to them as they become teenagers, I think. Um, right? And, and that verse is true, and we've seen it to be true. My grandfather used to say it this way. Um, he said, if you hang around with knuckleheads, you're going to be a knucklehead. It's funny what you remember from your grandparents. <laughs> That's what I remember. He always used to say, you know, quit being a knucklehead. Hang out with knuckleheads. Um, but... Right? The truth is that if we hang around with a certain type of people, especially as you see this in kids and in teens, ultimately they will start to go and, and be who they're around. And often we say this to our kids and our teens, but maybe we don't actually believe it to be true for ourselves. We think that we have become an adult. I'm mature. I can handle it. But Scripture seems to kind of say otherwise. We're going to look at that. And we're going to look at that in parallel to this idea that there are two paths. There's a path that leads to life and to fulfillment. And then there's a path that leads to death and destruction. And the scriptures sometimes talk about that wide is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life. But this path that we talk about it is not hidden. Right? It's not like God's got this secret little tunnel and only a couple of you get to go in it. Actually, it says in Psalm 16, Psalms writes, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. 
I've underlined, you make known to me the path of life 50 times in my life. As a reminder that this is not hidden. This is something that can be known, that God is showing us. And so we're going to look at Psalms 1 uh, as our platform this morning. Uh, we're going to, there's only six verses, so we're going to kind of look through each verse as we go along. Uh, and what it has to say to us about uh, who we hang out with, what happens, this path that we take. Um, the first psalm, and a lot of them, a lot of the psalms that we've talked about, you get this is written by David, or this was written uh, by so-and-so, or this was, as we remember, the song of ascent. Um, and it tells when they would use this. Psalms 1, we don't get anything. It's just right there in the beginning. It's somewhat, some scholars believe, to be almost the preface to the Psalms. And so it has a lot of wisdom in there as we get into this honest outcry of the heart uh, through the rest of the book. So, uh, let's read Psalms 1, uh, and then we'll start dissecting it verse by verse. Psalms 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Okay, if you want to go back to verse 1. We get this opening psalm. We get this beginning. And the very first phrase we get is, Blessed is the one. So as we start, we probably should go, what's, what's that mean, blessed? If you look back in right, the Hebrew, you see that this word is not singular. This word is plural. Meaning this is not like a blessing, a one-time shot that you're going to get. It's a one-time thing, a one-time gift. It's this idea of blessings that you're going to get. It's an idea that of happiness that you're going to get. And it's coming from God. This isn't as, as we look at some of this, this isn't a way to manipulate God, like, oh, if I don't do this, then I get this. Right? We sometimes, uh, if you remember a couple years ago, we did a book in our small groups called With, uh, and it was looking at our relationship with God, uh, and said sometimes we treat God like this vending machine, right? Like if we put in enough right money, time, whatever it is, we push the right buttons, then I get what I want. This is not what this verse is talking about. It's saying that you, the person that is going to be happy or blessed from God, this is what their life looks like. So, he begins by telling us what the person doesn't do. He says, if you notice, he doesn't walk in step with the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way that sinners take. And he doesn't sit in the company of mockers. You're like me. And you hear some guy up front preaching to you saying, you know, don't have friends that are wicked. I go, good. I don't have any friends that are wicked. Right? We don't typically describe people as wicked, right? Maybe if you think of who would you describe as wicked? 
Al Qaeda, right? Maybe a murderer. I want to describe just about very few people I would say is wicked. But don't get lost, don't get hung up there with the language. We don't use that a lot. But what it's really saying is that he doesn't walk with those, we're going to talk a lot about this, that go against the way or the direction that God has given. Let's rephrase it. What if that started like this? Blessed is one who doesn't take advice from those who don't believe in God. Who don't participate with those who don't follow after God. Who don't join in or link with those that mock the ways of God. A little different. He's saying, be careful who you're joining up with. Be careful who you're linking up with. Now, he's not saying... You should seclude yourself from anybody that doesn't believe like you. Right? You, you wouldn't be sitting in this room if, if that was the case. Right? Because the Bible says that you are to be the salt of the earth. Right? The Bible says you are to be the light of the world. But, be careful who you're joining. Be careful who you're linking up with. I need a volunteer, a young guy. Hey, JP, you want to come up? Give JP a hand. When you link up 
to those going in an opposite direction, to those that are pulling you down, it is much harder for you to pull them up for them to yank you down. We tell our kids that. Do we believe it for ourselves? Now, you see this little illustration, right, of him yanking them off and pulling them quickly. Uh, but often what ends up happening uh, is maybe not so drastically as that. Maybe it's this slow turn or this slow pull to change directions, to change where God is taking you into a way that others just want to take. You ever been driving through PA and taking 80 all the way across? Maybe some of you have, have done that. It's torturous, uh, right? It's nothing, and you drive, and you drive, and you drive. I told you before, I'm from Ohio, so we make a couple trips back in here, and so I know that drive. Um, and we get on 80 and drive out 80, and typically we go at night, and so the boys are sleeping, the dog is sleeping, Melissa's sleeping. I'm listening to some book on CD because that's what I like. You know, Fire Breathing Dragon fantasies novel that I'm totally engrossed in. And a couple years ago, I'm driving through PA and I get to Ohio and I'm driving a couple hours into Ohio. When Melissa wakes up and goes, are we almost there? I said, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I don't, you know, I, it's two in the morning and listening to my book. I start to look around at the mile markers and the signs, and nothing looks familiar. <laughs> you know where this is going. She's like, where are we? So she pulls up her phone and looks. Well, as you get into Ohio, 80, if you stay on 80, it's a little confusing, actually becomes 76, and it goes south. To to go north, you have to actually exit the highway, which then turns back into 80, and you're going to go up north now. And so, I wasn't paying attention. I was driving along. I mean, paying attention enough to drive. And I'm going along, and before I know it, I'm headed in the wrong direction. Right? I get signs 20 miles to Columbus. That's three hours from where I'm supposed to be. And so now i got to turn around. Two in the morning, I should have been home, and now I slept three more hours on the plate. Right? Because I wasn't paying attention. And it wasn't like this, but the paths start to diverge. Right? The highways diverge. And I start going the wrong direction. Ever feel like that's happened maybe in your life? That the people that you take advice from, that you are close with, that you are linked up with, are starting to pull you from the path that God has put for you. It, it doesn't usually happen overnight, right? It's this slow turn. And you can kind of see it in, in the text. First it's walking. Then it's standing. Then it's just sitting. The psalmist says, Blessed is the one 
who has walked, stand, or sit with these people. And then he goes into verse 2. Here's what this person does. This person's delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on his law day and night. Alright, so I'm the delight in the law of the Lord. So I get real excited when you read Leviticus. No. The verse, if you look at some of those in the Hebrew, delight could actually mean to bend. Something that bends a certain way. It can also mean to desire. So to bend or to desire. And the law, which is the most fascinating to me as I study this, the law, if you go back, translates to a path or a way that someone has shown you. Retranslate that. My bent, my leaning, my desire is for the way, the path that God has shown me. And on that path, I'm going to meditate. <coughs> What's meditating? You get another kind of car story. Who remembers the days before you had your cell phone and a GPS at the touch of your finger? Do you remember traveling in those days? Remember the days where I would get on a computer beforehand, go to MapQuest, print out like a little sheet turn by turn, and if you got off there, then you were in trouble, right? Do you remember before MapQuest? when you just maybe had a map, right, in the glove box. Remember the days where you were too cool to have a map in your glove box even though your mom told you to have one, and you'd get lost? I remember getting lost, and it's kind of a constant thing in my life. Um, you, you get lost, and I wouldn't know where I'm at, and so you would have to stop, right, and ask somebody, where am I at? How do I get back on the highway? I don't, I don't know for you, it always seems like when I have to do that, I'm at like the sketchiest place, right? And then I walk in and there's like one person and it's the one person you never want to talk to and so you have to go up and be like, how do I get back on the highway? Like, please don't kill me. And then they would tell you, you know, how to go. And so you would leave maybe that gas station going. Take a left at the lights. And then I go up two blocks and I'm going to take a right. And then there's the diner. I'm going to circle it three times and then go straight. And then there's a sign for the highway. And you get back in the car and you're repeating it to yourself, repeating it. And then someone says, do you know where we're going? And you're like, quiet, I'm trying to remember. Take a left at the light. And then in two blocks and take a right. I circle the diner. And then you get to the first light and you can't remember where you're going. To meditate actually means to murmur, to ponder. It's that repeating. It says that you are to murmur, to ponder the way God has pointed out. See, we, we do this. We murmur, we ponder. We think about things this way. Let me give you a good example of this. Most of us have had some sort of job change. And a job change usually provides new opportunities. And so, you have this job change uh, available to you, or maybe it's a promotion and you're trying to figure out whether to take it, and so you start thinking about this. And you start going, okay, if I get a new job, and this has more money, it means if I have more money, we could move to a better house. If I move to a better house, I can move to a better school district. 
If I move to a better school district, there will be better teachers. And if I have better teachers, my kids will get better grades. If my kids get better grades, they might get a scholarship to college. And if they get a scholarship to college, all that money I've been saving for them, they won't need, and I can buy a boat. <laughs> I want a boat. <laughs> Right? We do this. Right? We, we remember, we ponder on things. And now I'm not saying that this is wrong. You should obviously be thinking about a job change or a promotion. Um, and if you do get a boat, you should think about inviting me. But <laughs> <laughs> well, when's the last time maybe a job has come up and instead of pondering about the raise or the opportunity or the change, you start going, does God want me to do this? If I take this job, could I act more justly? Could I love mercy more? Could I walk humbly with God? When's the last time you sat and pondered decision based on God's path that is lined out? This is what is said of this person that is blessed that they're not walking, standing, or sitting with those going against the path that God has designed for us. It says they know, instead, they are actually thinking about it, murmuring about it, pondering about it, leaning towards it. And then it gives us the great example of, this is then what you're like. And so in verse 3 it says, that person, that blessed person, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. He gives this great example of, of a tree that you are planted by a stream of water, meaning you have everything you need to grow. And that as you grow, you're going to produce fruit. You're going to produce fruit, though, in season. Right? It doesn't say you're going to produce fruit instantaneously. It doesn't say you produce fruit immediately. It doesn't even say you're going to produce fruit indefinitely. It says that in season, you produce fruit. Growing up, we lived in the city um, and had kind of a side lot to our house. My parents always wanted privacy. We had none. You know, neighbors were all around. And so they started planting all of these different trees and, and shrubs around our yard to try to get some privacy. So we lived on a road much like 24 here. Um, and so they planted all these shrubs to make this big hedge in front. And then in the back they put a privacy fence and then on the one neighbor side they're like, we're going to plant some trees. And we weren't really all thrilled about it as kids because it just took up lawn space. And we wanted you know, to play football or other stupid stuff we were doing. Um, and they said, no, we're going to plant fruit trees. And you're going to be able to eat all of this fruit. That's a selling point. I like fruit. Uh, we get trees. I'll just be able to go out there and be picking trees. And so my parents planted these dwarf apple, pear, and cherry trees. Still remember. And I can remember them planting that and first thinking, wow, those are really small. And then going, okay, so this is going to take a little bit of a time. A little bit of time. And so the first summer comes after they planted, and the, and the tree has grown. But they're still small, and there's zero fruit on the tree. Like, okay, you know, we've got to get in here. And 
so the next summer comes, and they've grown a little bit bigger. Still no fruit. And now I'm getting impatient. And I'm like, these aren't fruit trees, they lied. <laughs> right? They just didn't want us to throw a fit, so they said they were fruit trees. The third summer, there was a pear on the pear tree. One pear. We were excited. The birds ate it. <laughs> it took over five years before those trees actually started producing fruit. If you look it up, uh, I was doing that this week, of going, you know, kind of the average length. Dwarf trees produce fruit anywhere from five, seven, ten years after they've been planted. A full-size normal tree will take over a decade to start producing fruit. We need to be careful about judging a fulfillment of a promise based on our own understanding and eyes. We need to be careful about judging a fulfillment of a promise based on our own understanding and eyes. Right? So often, I see with limited right, vision, I don't have God's perspective. As a kid, I couldn't understand how a tree... It's a fruit tree. Produce fruit. It takes time. God's promises, it says, are always yes. But they're not always in the time that we think they should be in. Right? I got impatient with God. Like, you promised this and I'm not seeing it. You said this was to be true, but I don't see it. We need to be careful about judging the fulfillment of the promise based on our limited perspective. The verse continues to say that you will bear fruit, meaning you will prosper. It says that you won't wither, that you will prosper, that you'll stand. Who remembers Sandy? Do you remember, like, the day after Sandy coming out of your house and looking around? I live off Old Mill, which is a road right here, and there's a ton of trees uh, that line Old Mill, and it looked like a battle zone when I tried to come down. Like, you couldn't come down there. So then I was walking because I just wanted to see it because it was like nothing I ever seen. There were so many trees that were down. And there were so many, I mean, right, some of you guys can remember this or have seen these monster trees that maybe you drove by every day, and now it's just collapsed. But what I found fascinating, we even had a tree like this on our property, that a lot of the trees that fell, while they looked healthy, strong, when they actually fell and broke, and it split open, right, what was inside? Rock, bugs, right? It wasn't standing anymore, it couldn't withstand the wind. But then there were other trees. There were other trees that stood through the storm, that were strong and secure, that the wind couldn't blow them over. Wes and I were joking that we actually were pretty happy about with Sandy uh, because we used to lose power all the time because we constantly had old tree branches falling and whatnot. Now all those trees are gone, right? The storm took them all out. So we were without power for like, you know, two weeks like the rest of you guys. But then, now that we've got it back, we don't lose power half as much. 
Because all the trees that weren't really strong, they may have looked like it, the wind blew it over and knocked it over. Scripture says that if you're careful who you wake up with, if you're careful who you're taking that advice with, if you're focusing, pondering on the way that God has shown that you will be like a tree. And it doesn't say that the storm will never come. But it says that you are going to prosper. That you won't wither and die. That you're going to produce fruit. The opposite now gets made for the wicked. The one that goes, I'm not going to. I'm going to do what I want. And so verse 4 says this. It says, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. What's chaff? Uh, well, if you get wheat, grain, corn, right? A lot of it has a husk, a skin. It's chaff. And so in biblical times speaking, they'd often get their, their grain, their wheat, and they would, they would harvest it, and they'd put it in a big pile, and they'd get a big pitchfork. And they would go to kind of a, a spot on top of a hill where it was windy, and they would start putting their pitchfork in the grain and tossing it up into the air. And as they would toss it, the wind would blow. And because the chaff is light, it's worthless. There's nothing to it. Whatever way the wind blows, it would take away. And the grain and wheat would fall down and collect. The chaff would blow away, but the wheat would stay. Psalmist shows us that the wicked are easily blown. And the Bible talks about sometimes that calls us not to drift. Right? Because wind is fickle. Wind blows all different directions. The question is, what are you more like? Are you like this tree that's planted, standing firm, and that when the winds come, you're rock solid. Your faith is there. Or you're a little more like chaff. And kind of the struggles come up. And I'm easily blown. Left or right. I make this personal. You know, when, when I have a hard family relationship, when there's a break in my relationship with a family member, and, and it feels like God, what are you doing? Are you still able to stand firm and strong and go, I know God's good. I know God loves me. Right? The loss of a job. Are you able to stand there and say, I still trust in you? Or is it totally rocky world? Last example of chat. Blown away. Ever try to eat a bowl of peanuts? Like the ones that are in the shell. I'm not talking about the ones, you know, that you get in the jar. I'm talking about, you know, you get some peanuts in the shell. You try not to make a mess of them. Ever try to do that? You sit down with the bowl, you take one of the peanuts out, you carefully crack it, take that out, take that little skin off, put it down. It takes about half an hour to eat four peanuts. <laughs> And then you look down and it's all still over your shirt somehow on the couch. One little breath. Don't sneeze when you're eating peanuts, right? It's going to go everywhere, right? 
it's, it's blown away. There's no substance. It doesn't stand. It isn't strong. The Bible says, blessed is the one who doesn't walk with the wicked, who doesn't stand with the sinners, who doesn't sit with the scoffers. Yet I focus, I meditate, I think about the way that God is directing me. That is my desire. He said, then you're going to be strong. You're not going to be blown away. And then we get into stuff that sometimes I have a hard time with, to be honest. I like a lot of things that are gray. I don't like black and white. And sometimes in Scripture, when I read it, it's hard. Because the next verse in 5 says this. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You ever see uh, maybe at the Olympics, the power lifters? These big guys don't necessarily look like super cut or, or, or defined, but they get this weight on these bars. That's incredible. Nobody should be able to lift the weight these guys lift, right? They have so much weight, like when they're squatting, that the bar, you see this, is like bending over their shoulders. I'm not proud of this, but occasionally uh, I find it humorous uh, when they start to lift up and their knees start doing this, right? And then, you know, they kind of fall. Uh, right? And they can't stand up under the weight. That's kind of a humorous way of, of, of making a point on something tough. Then that the wicked isn't going to be able to stand under the judgment of God. Right? As much as God is a loving God, he's also a just God who demands righteousness. Right? And the wages of sin is death. It says that the sinners aren't going to be in the assembly of the righteous. There is going to be a time when God separates those who have said, I'm going to follow this path that you have designed for me. From the ones that have said, like, I'm doing my own thing, God. That's hard for me sometimes to say. Hard for me to hear. In a world that, you know, we need to be tolerant of all people all the time. To make kind of a statement like that, but that's what the psalmist says. It's what the scripture says. He ends by concluding this uh, in, in verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You ever take your kids for a night hike? I remember my dad used to do this when we were camping. And for some reason, we only have like one flashlight. And so my dad would line all of us up in front of him. And then with the flashlight, he would point the way to go. And as long as kind of we were staying in the direction he was pointing the light, like we were fine. But if you got off the path, if you went your own way and you stepped in mud or tripped over a rock, like, was that my dad's fault for going, hey, here's the way. Stay in the light. I'm going to make sure that you're okay. I'm going to watch over your path. And then we run and do what we want to do and then get upset <laughs> that we get hurt. Or 
I, I have done that with God. I know the direction God wants of me. I choose to go my own direction. I suffer the consequences, and then I get mad at God for it. Like, what are you doing? Well, God says, I'm watching over the way, the path that I've laid out for you. And if you would stay on that, it doesn't mean you won't have storms, but it means that I will help you stand firm. That I will pour out blessings on you. If the band wants to come up, I'll end by telling you kind of one last idea. We have this, this choice. It's something that defines Christianity, that we are given the choice. We are given the choice to follow God, or to not. And ultimately, right, from the beginning, we've rejected God. But God has made a way for us, right? He doesn't leave us or abandon us. He doesn't hide the path. He isn't out there going, I hope they mess up, and then they're going to get what they deserve. Like, that's not God. God is going, please follow what I've set up for you. I have a plan for you. Would you just follow it? Would you desire what I have in here? If you desire this, if you murmur, ponder on this, your life is going to be better. You'll be able to stand. I love what it says in 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And God is waiting for you. He is the patient God that lets us at times make mistakes, but is constantly and consistently calling us back, wanting us, wanting us back, saying, I have this path. S stay away from them. Nothing good comes from this. This path leads to destruction. I have a path that leads to life and life to the full. It's an opportunity that all of us can, an invitation that all of us can. Would you stand with us this morning as we close, close the door?